night of total terror. <laughs> We we're going to talk about our backyard drive-in with our Dose Incredibles international correspondent all the way from Cork, Ireland, Michael Brendan Hayes. He's on. He's ready. He's a Night of the Living Dead expert. Is he still there? He's still there. I am still here. He's still here. So Loud and clear. Yeah. I, th- I mean, it looks good. The shot looks great. Looks nice and shiny. There he is. There he is. So that's why everything broke. People don't understand broke because we're trying to yeah, have we're... a conversation with somebody from Scotland. <laughs> we literally, we literally, Ireland, fun- I'm sorry, <laughs> we Ireland. literally funneled in Ireland right here. Ireland, Ireland. So, yep that that what better way to give you an intro than just literally to have you crash the show? But he's your friend. We we've done a couple of shows with Brendan. We did the we did a great scream show. We did the phenomenal halloween show as well that i think that's going to be it's going to be timeless because brendan is in the town if you listen to that podcast where basically i guess he would be the antagonist was from right colonel cochran was cork ireland yeah he he would have been born in the um, county um where i live but he would have moved on to another county when he was a young child so his his roots are in my county in Cork, Dan O'Hurley. God, that's it. Yes. So mm. we anytime we have the go to of the special horror shows, we we make sure we involve Brendan. And this week obviously was a very special one because it was the season four premiere of the last drive in with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy the Mail Girl. And we celebrated this by making our very own Backyard drive-in so we can enjoy the double feature known as Night of the Living Dead and Anthropophagus. Can you say that again, please? Anthropophagus, also known as The Beast and of the Grim Reaper. And if you've seen this flick, it is, it, her, it's her sister, right? Mia Farrow's sister, sister, Tisa. I'm not sure. Tisa Farrow. I don't think she would admit it, it, though. Yeah, she would not admit it, so... Brendan, I don't know if you, I know you're. You said you're not familiar with the Anthropophagus, but you are familiar with Night of the Living Dead. But before before we start, uh, we got to just do a quick. Let's test the close up cam and let's just go through what it looked like in Dos Incredibles backyard. If we see there, we had some cool shots. There she is, right there, Tisa Farrow. All right. This, yep. And I'm just doing a little scrolling gimmick here. There is the Brendan. That's the one that uh, we're gonna. Th- we'll say. Well, since we really want to focus on Night of the Living Dead, we're gonna basically tell you what this dude here did. So this dude okay. right here took, mm-hmm. went digging around like he was an OBGYN right after this scene here, and he pulled out uh, a fetus and started eating it like it was a. Payata? Is that what he called it? Like the, uh, t- yeah, it was pretty gnarly, man. It was pretty gnarly. But as you can see, I mean, we did enjoy. It. We had, we had actually a eerie night here in Austin. If you see that, it was kind of perfect with that gray sky. Give you the shot of the screen because this was basically a live house show that we're going to be doing on the spot. It looks, 
it looks brilliant. Yeah, yeah. She went swimming, of course. That was our. That was the Jaws scene, that was in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we had Darcy. We had some good shots. It was a good time. It was a. It was a long mm-hmm. one. It was a long night, but it was. It was a fun night. But what was more important is this film that we're going to talk about, the nineteen sixty eight classic. <clears throat> Night of the Living Dead. Jeff, I feel like you're still shook from the technical difficulties. Yeah. We're, we're going to be, a, we're, we're good. We're good. We got everything sorted. Yeah, well, no, we're good. And I'm just we're, yammering, we're good. yammering on. So, but Brendan, what do you, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience. Like, I know for me, this is, I was telling you, Mario, this is pretty much what my mom considered the Blair Witch Project of just like the word of mouth for Night of the Living Dead. Like, as I started growing up, like, no, you can't watch that. That's too terrifying. Yeah, I don't think anybody in my family even, like, would consider watching it back then. Like, it was just not anything even would, anybody would watch. That and The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, The Exorcist. Like, once The Exorcist came, it kind of overrode what Night of the Living Dead was in the, in the horror community. Brendan, what, uh, you know, from the international perspective, tell us about the reputation of Night of the Living Dead. One of my first experiences of, of watching or hearing about Night of the Living Dead was actually the Tom Savini remake. Um, and that would have been back in 1990, I think that came out. And Yeah, that was 1990, yep. And prior to that, in the 80s as a child, I would have seen, and I should have seen, Dawn of the Dead um, and loved it. And... Um then as I grew older and became more of a film buff and film fan, you know, you learn the the genesis of all this is, is back in nineteen sixty eight from George A. Romero. And it's just an inc- for, for its time it's an incredible film and there's so many interesting stories attached to it. Um made on a budget of hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. Um, it is rejected by so many distributors because of a plethora of different reasons. Um, they didn't like the black and white. Uh, they didn't like the idea of, uh, spoiler alert, the protagonist being killed at the end, and they wanted that to be changed. But um, Romero and Russo, etc., decided absolutely not. And then the biggest one of all and the biggest story attached to this movie is the fact that the distributors, Walter Reed, um, when they changed it from The Flesh Eaters, which was the, it wasn't the original title. Romero wanted to call it House of Anubis. Oh, yes, I, we did. Uh, yeah, Joe Bob talked yeah. about that. Mm. House but of what, though? House of Anubis? Anubis. Uh, Anubis is um, an Egyptian god who uh, has something to do with the dead. But I think Romero thought it might have been a bit pretentious and nobody would have understood it. So when they were changing it to Night of the Living Dead, they omitted the copyright. And it wasn't noticed until a few years later. And to this day, I believe Night of the Living Dead is completely public domain. It is. So if you see if you see any movie with Night of the Living Dead playing in the background and some TV, you know they haven't paid a red cent for it. 
Yeah, and Joe Bob explained that he had it had something to do with the film stock, right? That the way it got cut off too. No, they actually what happened was it was called Night of the Flesh Eaters, and they had the copyright mm. mark on that title, that piece of film on yeah. the title. And when they changed the title, they snipped that piece of film. They snipped it out and okay. replaced it with the one with the other title, and it didn't have a copyright mark on it. And that was it. Mm. And yeah, because like if you go to their Wikipedia page, you can watch the whole movie. It's right there. It's right there under uh, the Wikipedia page. We could watch it right now and uh, just put it on and play the whole thing. And we finally would not anger the algorithm. And it made 263 times its budget. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it made 30 million, which would be the equivalent of about 247 million today. And Romero would say that he saw very, very little money. Um, in terms of profit. Yeah, from the actual profit from that one. You yeah. know, obviously his yeah. career, he was a made man in a, in a sense. After, you know, eventually, again, they talked about this on the show, he did not embrace because he wasn't a horror movie director per se, right? That was just his style. He found it hard to be a director. He, he's, he's gone you know, on record saying that, that he found it hard to be stern and um, direct with these people on set because he as he said himself there was too much democracy in the production of it and a lot of the cast um, had different hats including um, the woman who plays um, Mrs. Mr. Cooper's wife in oh, the cellar yes. she was doing um, makeup effects on people as well and ironically, as we're speaking about makeup effects, that scene where they're eating what looks like human remains after the, the truck is burned out, that's actually some kind of ham shanks with chocolate sauce. And the extras were so nauseated looking that they didn't even have to put makeup on them. So <laughs> that's a, an interesting <laughs> trivia. But, yeah, that's interesting because, um, yeah, you're talking about uh, Marilyn Eastman as Helen Cooper. Marilyn Eastman. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and it said Eastman also played a female ghoul eating an insect. So, mm. I, I, again, I guess it was like the low-budget pro wrestling shows when, like, hey, we're going to need you to work three times. You got a mask. That was also the name of the guy in the Anthropomorphus. is George Eastman. Oh, you're right. And that was his fake name. He just took he just took that name because it was, it was the name of the film stock. Oh, God. <laughs> that's right because he had uh, his what was his, he actually his real name was actually way better. Uh, was it no Magara? Uh, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, George Eastman. Yep, there it is. Oh, Luigi Montre, Montefiore, Montefiore. Yeah, I'm not even. Yeah, I tried. I failed. One of the most interesting things I find about this movie is the fact that um, Dwayne Jones is, it's 1968, as you can imagine, the civil rights movement has barely been passed. It's in its infancy after Lyndon Baines Johnson rushed it in after JFK's assassination. So there's still going to be this racial prejudice there. And according to all sources, uh, Dwayne Jones is the first lead black actor or African-American actor in any movie. And he, as Marilyn Eastman said, was a tortured individual. I mean, this man died at 51 years of age. And when Carol Hardman, who plays Harry Cooper, 
um, when he talks about him, he has since passed away himself, but whenever he talked about him, he would well up and get very emotional. So it's, Yeah, that's pretty young. It, it, very young. He died of heart failure, but it, it's groundbreaking in so many ways. It's it's the godfather of zombie films. We would have no Walking Dead or Resident Evil without, without Night of the Living Dead. And it broke barriers when you had someone like Dwayne Jones taking on the lead role. And George Romero would have said that the initial character was supposed to have been an arrogant truck driver. And he never envisioned him as either Caucasian or African-American or whatever. And Dwayne Jones got this part on merit and merit alone because he went for the audition in Pennsylvania where they shot it in Pittsburgh somewhere. And um, it was just decided. I, I don't think any of these people involved in the film ever considered his race in, in any negative connotation. No, no, They were just all. very happy to work with him. No, his presence, any scene that he did, his presence on there was incredible. Like he, he felt like a leading man when he was on there, which I did not know. He went on to appear in another Long Island classic, Beat Street in 1984. Now, after the show, I'm going to have to look that up. Bro, your production company should be Long Island Classics. Yeah, Long Island. <laughs> you should copyright that now. Just right now, or forget to do it and let it go in the public domain and let it live on forever, because obviously it did this film a favor, because like, it's isn't it's a wonderful life, also public domain, and that re-showing of it really is what helped keep it alive, ironically, for Night of the Living Dead, was that ability uh, for me that opening scene was incredible and it and it's still to this day it creates a perfect ambiance like you just know when they're coming to get you barbara stop it i, I you're ignorant I, I, that that was it <laughs> right i have to i have to say it, it's one of my favorite lines in any film oh yeah um i i love it it's like they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> they're coming, Barbara. Yes. <laughs> and if there's, there's a scene in uh, Shaun of the Dead where Shaun's mother is called Barbara. And when Shaun and uh, the Nick Frost character uh, decide that they're going to go and, and rescue his mother from the, the zombies, although you're not supposed to say zombies. Um, Nick Frost's character says, we're coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, that's the, it's, it's, it's influenced Brilliant so many man. filmmakers, yeah. so many. Yeah. I mean, if you have any friends named Barbara and it, you're no, you're going to say it at least once. Look, here comes my, one of them my now. Gran, my, my grandmother's name was Barbara, ironically. Oh yeah. So, mm. you know, you had to have said it, but that really, set the tone of this movie that again the most important thing is not always about it's not always about the jump scares right it's not always about the jump scares it is setting the ambiance you know we worked hard to set that ambiance in our backyard driving because it's just the feel right you have to have that feel and that just starting off in the cemetery and a slow burn and then when he you know ben came onto the scene again like i said he was so dominating and he just gobbled up every scene he was in. So that ending 
when he was shot to even I remember watching it probably way younger than I should have. That was absolutely shocking. You like you said, any other ending probably wouldn't have done because that really drove home that don't forget this is a horror movie. And it's not gonna have a happy ending. And and ironically, the opening scene in the graveyard was actually the last scene they shot. Oh really? So when everything else was in the can they went and they shot the, the cemetery scene. Well, again, that's where the and magic one, was way made. So, Mario, I remember you and, were saying that you really, you're, you kind of got into the horror movie scene a little bit late, right? Like you said, it wasn't something like growing up that it was part of your regular regimen. Yeah, no, I was scared of horror movies as a child. <laughs> I didn't want to go see them. So I didn't really see them until I got older, like late high school and into college, you know, and I started to really get into them. Um, but, like, the thing, uh, talking about Night of the Living Dead and what's scary about it, I think that when we were watching it the other night, and I was telling you, at this point, uh, the thing that really stood out to me is one thing that makes it scary is it does something innovative that no movie had done before, I think. It gives it sort of a, a leg up where it was using the news footage as sort of like right to, to sort of like build out the story. And when and people, you know, people in that time were not entirely all – there was not documentaries yet. They weren't a thing, you know, so people didn't really get what, what uh, reality TV, any kind of that stuff, what it was. So I think those scenes are particularly scary when you hear the guy on the television telling you where to go for safety and what's going on. I think that added an element that just really elevates the whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree with you because uh, then one of the newscasters was the Bill Chili Billy Cardelli as himself. So he's literally was a real newscaster from Pittsburgh. That they put in that movie, right? That's how you do it. If you want to get good news stories posted about you, you hire the news guy to be in your movie. Yeah. Um, he, he was actually reluctant to take that um, position. He said that he was just too busy. And Romero said to him, come along down, you know, come down on Sunday morning and we, we'll get the whole thing wrapped and, you know, we won't have you hanging around. And unfortunately, he did come down and he was hanging around. I, I think like any typical movie set, you're going to be hanging around because people are going to be getting lighting right. People are going to be getting all the props right, etc. But um, he's very glad. Um, I think he might still be alive. But the, the documentary that I watched about it, um, he's very glad to have been a part of it. And, and you know, he, he nearly wasn't. But, you know, he added a, a great element for the exposition of the film. You know, and there's a lot of these great films that, you know, a lot of these performers considered throwaway films and maybe they would hurt their career. And now they're getting a second life at a career with just traveling the circuits and being basically worshipped as like these cinema idols, so to speak, up from a lot of these movies. We see it like when we went to the, you know, the cult classic convention. I mean, people are just like relishes. Again, it has a lot to do with the repeat repeated viewing these people start to feel like you know them i think yeah but i think people because uh the whole nostalgia is big and now you've got youtube which is big thank you youtube for putting on our show but like you can re-watch things and revisit clips and and make memes about you know little scenes from old movies so just gives things a new life oh sorry <laughs> that was me what happened oh i knocked the camera over oh. you know no big deal all right, keep talking. <laughs> so, <How about> <laughs> go ahead. Um, yeah, but like, 
you can make a living um, now traveling the circuit and selling your autograph, or doing autograph shows. And I mean, I don't know. It was a fun vibe at uh, Coke Classics Convention, and I was not expecting much out of the festival. No, it really was. Again, it had a weird science reunion. But there's a lot of people that really look at, you know, the 80s as like this peak cinema where a lot of it was garbage. But we got to remember a lot of this stuff. Brendan, that was a perfect way to put it. You know, calling this the Godfather cinema, a lot of it came born of these risky filmmakers that were doing things that weren't guarantees, which it doesn't exist anymore. Let's just call it. It doesn't exist anymore. Like, it's got to be an IP, and then the people that are controlling the IP are being controlled, and it's not necessarily even respecting the IP, right? And it's just like, so now if you're like, okay... They would never make something that's unique like this anymore because they're like, no, no one's ever heard of it before. Let's get, let's just do the requels or let's do something that's like it. But then they don't honor that legend. But so to me, it's just like that's what made 70s and 80s like such a magical time with film. They were just rolling the dice, man. And like, okay, let's, let's scratch together some money and let's see what we can do. Romero would say as a child that his uncle would have bought a lot of different cameras and wouldn't have known how to use them. And he figured out how to use them himself. And today, if one was to buy any kind of camera, Blackmagic, Canon, whatever the case may be, if they had any difficulties at all, they can just go on YouTube and, and put in how to do this and how to do that. But a lot of his stuff was self-taught. He he was in college and he was doing some kind of art degree. And there's one story where he said he was with um, one of his college friends and they were supposed to paint this nude. And instead of him painting the nude, he was just drawing a picture of um, the Ben-Hur poster. He had no interest in this, but he wanted to make films. And, and he said that he made these features, quote, which were you know, probably rubbish, he thought. But he had that passion. He just wanted to to make films and uh, he wanted to to scare people. And, and, and that's what he did. And he did it hell or high water because it took 10 years for him to go on and make Dawn of the Dead because it's fair to say that Night of the Living Dead was not an overnight classic. They put an awful lot of hard work into promoting that movie. No, it was by no means an overnight classic at all. But it it was an inadvertently making history, right? Because let's talk a mm. little bit about the the Carl Hardman character. Uh, was it? Let me yeah. see. His name was Harry Cooper. Mario, you were laughing Harry about Cooper. this. If you were basically like this dude, just wants to watch Fox News, right? He had that vibe that he actually. And I don't think, again, there was no intentional racial tension built into this film. I think it maybe happened inadvertently, and it really told a story of just basically you had this character that was not going to let the Ben character come in here and take control in a way, trying to keep him down and like... We're not doing it your way, even though it makes sense. We're going to be doing it my way. And it added that racial tension to it inadvertently, I think. But you're right. I mean, it w just happened well, to be I that. Think, he I think it adds the racial tension by not bringing it up. Right. Because this is, this is the late 60s 
you know, USA, it's there. By not bringing it up, it actually draws more attention to it. That's my take on it. Yeah. It's like if you think about it from an artistic perspective, it's just like it's a given that something like that would be said uh, or, or whatever or it, things could go that way. I think by not bringing it up, it actually makes it more of an issue. And that's how it seems inadvertent, you know? Yeah. And it just he just happened to look like somebody that would have been – you know, racist at that time, I guess, right? And like, um, you know, Ben looks Ben looks chill and and reliable and trustworthy. He comes in in that sweater, you know, like he just got off work. He's got he smoke. He looks like he smokes the good cigarettes. So like, he just seems like a cool dude. He just he seems like a lead. He absolutely does. Yeah, and that I think that's what made that ending so stunning. That you felt like he was able to overcome, and. Ironically, the idea that wasn't his idea ended up being the idea that he needed to do, but he was able to overcome, and then he wasn't able to overcome. And to this day, I mean, just and just you had to keep watching the end credits, right? When those titles were rolling, and you basically watched now the journey of the body of Ben, it was to me, it was just like it was like watching real. Like time life took these pictures from the sixties, and you were seeing this happen, and I think yeah. that's what really helped it. And and Romero would say that there was absolutely no intent whatsoever to have any social commentary about um, any kind of racial prejudice in it. And if you think of the um, Carl Hardman character, Harry Cooper, he's he's actually not a bad guy. He's He's trying to protect his daughter down right. in the basement. Yes. And he he thinks she's sick. He has no idea that she's going to transform into this flesh-eating ghoul or whatever other term they're using. They're not saying zombie. But that's why, and of course, in many ways, and people will, will argue, he was dead right. Yeah. Stay in the basement. That's where it's safe. Yeah, exactly. It ended up that his idea was right. And he would just, and they didn't, and, and didn't listen to him. Well, let's just call. I mean, and, nobody in this movie is outright terrible. You know, I think yeah. all of their all of their ideas are pretty much arguably they could have been right. And I think what what we what the main villain here is like who's wrong? It's the angry mob, right outside yeah. that yeah. ends up taking everybody out. Yeah. No, you're right. There wasn't anybody, and and that's what made it work. The realism made it work. If you got five people in a room. In a terrifying situation, you are going to get f- five different answers on how are we going to survive this, and everybody because they're coming from a place of fear when they're trying to think, and that's going to change everything. What do you think about the black and white aspect? You know, when I was talking about, uh, you know, the Harry character, he literally looked like somebody that would have been a character in the Twilight Zone, which you know we know that's. My everybody favorite looks like a character from the Twilight yeah, Zone, but especially they, the ones that are non-actors. The, all, everybody, essentially the angry mob, that's all like non-actors. When I say non-actors, they were all non-professional actors that were in the movie. They hadn't really done anything, but like they wanted to be actors. The people that are in the angry mob are just like friends. You know what I mean? <laughs> just be, like the guy was like, um, they're, they're all messed up. <laughs> oh, like that that's was like that line. <laughs> yeah, that was a great line. <laughs> oh, an excellent actor couldn't deliver that line that way, <laughs> dude. I I wish you can find that line. Although I think we should play that. We're coming to get you, Barbara, because we're not going to get in trouble because we can do it, right? Absolutely. Public domain. Yeah, it's public domain. Which who knew that would be? It feels like 
it was made for the right reasons and then the universe put it right where it needed to be to succeed to create this genre that we all know and love because it was in the public domain but i brendan you think it would have been different if it was in color there is actually a version on youtube of it it it's colorized i don't know who did it and i watched a piece of it recently but no, I prefer the black and white. Yeah. It just, it gives me Twilight Zone vibes. And I, I, and, and ironically as well, as we're on the black and white thing, that's why a lot of the distributors didn't want to use it. They were, it was 1968. They were saying to themselves, why are we going backwards? Why are we going to black and white? <laughs> yeah, but when you, you think and, about it, that's another interesting thing about the movie is like, it's black and white, which seems like a throwback, but also kind of progressive. At the same time, so it's doing two different things at the same time. Yeah. And, and, and today we have a plethora of different films which have chosen to go black and white for a multitude of different reasons, just to be artistic. Um, the one that rolls off the top of my head in terms of horror, and it's not a very good one, and I watched bits and pieces of it, is The Human Centipede 2. <laughs> was that in black want. and white? <laughs> it was... And I don't want, I watched some of it and, and just tell you, it's, it's a horrific film. No. Like, like that anthrop- anthropophagus thing. No, I, I wouldn't be watching it again. Oh man. Yeah. That, that film was like a, a whole nother level. So originally too, I was reading a little bit about this and I remember Joe Bob, which if you haven't subscribed to Shudder, we don't have a promo code, but. And I know, Brendan, you can't get it over there yet unless I guess no, you would need like a, to get one of those VPNs and get it. But I'd I have highly, to get a VPN, yeah. Yeah, I highly would recommend that that streaming yeah. service is phenomenal. But anyway, Joe Bob, he's just on his game, man. He's just on point. And, you know, when we met him, they just they're so passionate about this. And then the backstories that they give on all this horror history is great. But like we had no idea, it was like originally it was co-written as like a horror comedy, and then they wanted to do like an alien gimmick too, and then they wanted to do the Egyptian god gimmick. I mean, there were so many. They like they really didn't even land on what it was going to kind of be, and then it was like I had no idea that it was kind of inspired by uh, the Omega Man, right? Was that Charleston Heston? The I which am one was Legend? inspired by Omega Man? Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Really. Yeah, I remember yeah. Joe Bob was talking about that, and I was like, Brendan, I don't know if you knew that or not, but I was like, I, I did. Ro- Romero would actually say that he, quote, kind of ripped off the Omega Man idea, and made made it his own. So uh, he he he's quite open about that. You know, he he was when he was alive, certainly. So yeah, I was aware of that, and um, and then of course. If we're talking about the Omega Men, the um, loosely based on what's it called? I am Legend. Oh, I am Legend. Is yeah, probably one of the most awful zombie <laughs> films I've ever seen in my life. Well, don't worry. Simply Something be- tells me that is now suddenly in development hell. so i don't think you're gonna have to worry about the sequel coming on to that. But now, speaking of sequels, no. though, obviously. Night of the Living Dead. There's not many films that can capitalize on the feeling, the magical feeling that a sequel can come from the original, but Dawn of the Dead did it. 
is it, do we are we all in agreement on that? I mean, Dawn of the 100%. Dead was, was also a classic. Mm-hmm. If Night of the Living Dead was a '60s classic, Dawn of the Dead was a '70s classic. And I have to say, hats off to Zack Snyder for the remake. The remake was absolutely top notch. Yeah, he did a stellar job on that. Yeah, but you know the. He's got balls, man. He, Wait, he, yeah, he did his own thing with it, and it came out good. They could have just called mm. it maybe something else, and it would have done way better. Yeah, because Mall again, of the Dead, Mall of the Dead, Mall of the Mall Dead, of the Dead, Mall of the Dead would have been great. You've got a huge hit. Oh, can you imagine if you just called it? Was like, yeah, it's inspired by it, but we're calling Mall. Oh man, you should have booked that one. I love that title. That's awesome. Well, technically, we can make that and just make it a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, right? Yeah, but and then of course you Mall of the Living Dead, Mall of the Living Dead, and then of course you've got Day of the Dead, and Land of the Dead, and Diary of the Dead. It's it's unfortunate that towards the latter end of the series that the films started to become poorer and poorer. Brennan, have you seen Land of the Dead? What's your Land of the Dead review? I've seen it. A while back, I'm sure. I'm a bit confused now because um, I think the last one I remember seeing was Diary of the Dead, which I wasn't fond of. Yeah, that's and the uh, found footage one, but uh, that was not very it, good. That's it, yes. That's, yeah. Land of the Dead, so, I think, is pretty good. Okay. I think I might have that somewhere. I might check that out. But um, definitely for me, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead are, are definitely up there. And Dawn of the Dead more so, I have to say. I wasn't majorly gone on the idea of them having this zombie, Bubba, uh, trying to be intellectual and sophisticated for a zombie. But um, one of the most memorable scenes for me in that film actually is where the hands come out of the wall and just scare the absolute. Oh shit. yeah. And then the girl, she throws her arms yeah. up like, Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. really good gif. Uh, and, and I know it was pretty cool. Uh, what was his name in that bub? The zombie Bob. they were experimenting Bob, on. Bubba. Like when he <laughs> the, put in the headphones on, it was just like, <sighs> so if for some reason, it always did have a, an undertone of comedy, even if it was unintentional. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 satire. It, yeah, satire. Yeah, it 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 did have that undertone of comedy, and, and maybe that's why I didn't like it. Whereas Dawn of the Dead was far more tense and suspenseful, and you again had this group of people who were I don't know if you've ever heard of Big Brother. It was this TV series. Oh yeah, I'm not yep. even sure whether they're still running. Oh, we have multiple seasons. Here. Oh, do you? Okay. Well, you know the dynamics between people trapped in a, an area. So you've gone from a small house out in the countryside and night of the living dead to a shopping mall. Um, and even in the shopping mall, the dynamics are still poor because people are just rubbing each other up the wrong way. And then of course you've got the motorcycle gang that come in and invade the place. Tom Savini was one of those guys. Tom Savini was great in that. That was, yeah. I think, I think yeah. that was my first exposure to seeing him like and then like mm. as time went on you realize oh my god that's the guy from dawn of the dead as you you know he started making a name for himself in that industry but it, that was my first exposure to seeing him was at the strip club with greg nicotero 
<laughs> oh, in real life, though. I told you that story, right? Yeah. No, tell it again. But yeah, I think that was an IRL story. Go Dude, for it. Yeah, was that tell us that. <laughs> I was I was I was with my buddy at the strip club. We we're just hanging out, having a beer, doing the strip club thing, and we looked across I looked across and the table across I saw it was Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero sitting together having beers at the strip club. <laughs> and then, like, you know, the girls come up and they're like, You want to dance or whatever? I was like, No, no, but you know who's that is over there? That's Greg Nicotero and Tom Savini. Is like, oh, okay, are they famous? Yeah, yeah. And that was like just completely just like, you know, whatever, fanboying out. But like nobody could give a shit. But they were just in there, obviously, just to be discreet in the dark. I don't know what it was at the time when Austin was shooting a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies and oh yeah, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, saw them both there, and it just I you can't talk to them at the strip club. You can't be able to say, hey, bros, yeah, you've inspired me. They're they're obviously there because they don't want to be disturbed or whatever. You're right. Right. Yeah. No, they're. For for flesh eating, they're diff- They're there for a different type of flesh eating. If you know what I mean, exactly. get that. Get you some. <laughs> get you some. You know it. But yeah. So I don't. Tom Savini, but we we're talking about how it had an underhand attention, and maybe this was just in the craziness that was the Gr- the Gretler household in Long Island. And I told you, my brother. It was my exposure to all these horror movies. And he would fast forward to all the kill scenes and he'd fast forward to all the gruesome scenes. We're going to talk to a therapist about it, but he's fine. Everything's fine. But he kept rewinding the scene when that guy got the top of his head chopped off from the helicopter multiple times. And he was laughing so hard. It reminded me of the scene from The Naked Gun when they came out laughing hysterically and then they pan up and you see they're watching Platoon. And you're like, why are you laughing like that? It was the same thing, but it was just like he kept rewinding it again and again. Just because it's a cool effect. It was a great, it's a good effect, effect for it what really they did. Right? Was. And like Tom Savini was real specific because if you watch that effect, it's not like uh, he gets his head cut off and blood shoots everywhere. It's no. Like, no, it comes off and two very specific squirts of blood come out of the side, <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's where the arteries are. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, so, it's, it's a good effect. It was very precise, and it had that split second thing of when you hear about when uh, any kind of like animal decapitation where you know in faces of death when they show that and you show them it shows them running around that's what it reminded me like he, the zombie didn't even realize that he had his head lopped off and that just like blew me away that it was just like it wasn't supposed to be funny but it was very quentin tarantino that it wasn't supposed to be funny but man you just couldn't stop laughing yeah like, like that scene yeah, like that scene in uh, Pulp Fiction where oh, man. Vincent Vega accidentally <laughs> shoots your guy in the back of the car. Oh, Mar- yeah. poor Marvin. R.I.P. Marvin. What do you think? I don't even have an opinion. Well, you got to have an opinion. You think, pow! Man, I, th- I, th- I think everybody in the theater was just like, what just happened? That first time reaction just blew you away so and this is the stuff, you know, Tarantino and Brendan, we're going to have you back on here. I know we had a plan to do a uh, a Tarantino show, but we kind of pivoted because we should still do that show. Yeah, no, we absolutely oh, yeah, should yeah, do yeah. that show. But yeah, yeah. we, you know, no, you're just your feeling of Night of the Living Dead. So I don't know how many. So there's Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and then Land of the Dead and Dire of the Dead. That's the canon five, right? Then there's Survival of the Dead. Here's what I think. I think it's you've got your first three. You've got Night. You've got Dawn. You've got Day. And I think. Uh, 
Land is a is a pretty good epilogue kind of closure one. I don't think it fits exactly in the first in the trilogy, I would say, but I think it's a good one in there. I think the other two after that um, are, you know, George Romero had a mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> he had stuff to do. Yeah, and I remember I, when the diary, the, the found footage one, it, was just, it seemed like it was a slam dunk to combine that, you know, just like they were going to do that with Jason. You know, at Camp Crystal Lake found footage, they were going to kind of do the same thing, like slam dunk. But, you know, George Romero, it to to inspire so many filmmakers and then inspire remakes based on his films that were all good. I mean, I think we're all in agreement that the Night of the Living Dead, you know, remake from 1999, 1990 was actually good. You know, the, the Dawn of the Dead remake by Zack Snyder being its own thing was good. And Shaun of the Dead is a classic as well, right? I mean, it's part of the Cornetto trilogy, but I mean, it was clearly inspired is, by that. There is one thing that really bothers me about um, the remake of Night of the Living Dead by Tom Savini. What's that? And if you watch the symmetry scene at the beginning, when Johnny is killed, he falls onto the curb of a grave and it's just quite evidently a dummy. And it's disappointing because Tom Savini is well known for his craft. Yeah. And just watch it again and watch that scene where Johnny is killed. And it just, it looks awful. So I can't understand it. It, it looks rushed. Um, so you so think it's, I, it's I snuck by some, it's snuck by some editor that they didn't. Tom Savini got his budget cut like last minute. He has he has a lot of stories online. If you look at him, he's fighting with the producers the whole time. They were cutting his effects out, but so I think he he ended up not super happy with the final product himself. He had like a bigger a bigger aspiration for it. But just go back and have a look at Johnny's death in the nineteen ninety Night of the Living Dead, and it's it's bad. You know, bad. and the, and the, the rest of the movie is great. I I really enjoyed the rest of the movie. Tony Todd is great, and 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 the supporting cast. Oh are yeah, great. Tony Todd is phenomenal. Yeah. I yeah. just remember the big fat zombie falling onto the that straight shot. That that I just remember that as part of the part of the trailer, and that was like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm in. But it was 1990. It was. I feel like film was trying to find itself again because we were just coming off the 80s and then the 90s and grunge was coming with music. And I think he actually film had to go through that, too. And that's what gave us, you know, Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, where there was a little bit of a pivot point. But these guys were all inspired about all the stuff that we're talking about here. So, so Brendan, so that's that covers Night of the Living Dead. Did you want to talk anything about do you want us to i'm going to try to pitch you on anthropophagus by reading you oh yeah so known as the beast and the grim reaper it's italian horror so right there it's already cultured directed by joe diamato already cultured and george eastman who starred in the film as the cannibal and you got pedigree in there it's tisa pharaoh not mia pharaoh not the mother of satan Tisa Farrow, right? Her, so, Mia Farrow's sister. Is yes, it? is her sister. Yes, and apparently okay. she her concern was she didn't want to be overshadowed by Mia, you know. And obviously, with Rosemary's Baby, she she was, even though that was way earlier. But this film was described as having a noted place in the annals of the escalation of gore. 
if amongst fringe horror video audiences. It has been argued that the reason for its cult cut lies in the theme of cannibalism, hence consumption of humans, which lends itself to cult reception. But I can't say the word Mario, and I don't know if you can say it, but when, when that scene happens... When he basically eats the the unborn child, I was just like, "What did we just?" And that's, I think Joe Bob he actually even cut at that part. And he's like, "Well, that's the scene we were talking about." <laughs> yeah. It uh, was- apart, apart from that, apart from that, which sounds awful. Um, yeah. I really, I really don't. I find it very disturbing when, when children, yeah, are or or animals are harmed in any way. Well, for makes film. It, and I know, I know it's been done, like Assault and Precinct Thirteen. There was the shooting of a child, if you remember. Oh, um, yeah, it's very no. disturbing. Yeah, but like apart from that, was the movie actually any good? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Right. Okay. <laughs> no, there's not a. Was this knock on our door? No, it was not good. <laughs> Make no mistake, uh, it was it was interesting to watch. It almost felt like as film connoisseurs or film fans, we wanted to uh we wanted to just do our homework. That was me saying that we, the other guests are here. Oh, they are here. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Brendan, I want to give you the final word, Night of Living Dead, while we start to wrap you up. But thank you so much for being on here. And we're gonna have you back oh, on here pleasure. live. And thank you for staying up because I know <laughs> it's like one AM in Cork, Ireland, yep. and you got to go to work in a couple hours. So thank you so much for staying up and joining us on Dose Incredibles, because you are Dose Incredibles International. Well, you used to really be scared here. Johnny. You're still afraid. Stop it now. I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. Johnny. 